Hey everyone, this is That Guy in Hutch, Jason Probst, and you're listening to That Podcast in Hutch. So here for the last uh, month or so, we've kind of been thinking of ways to kind of refresh the podcast or bring some new ideas into the podcast. And uh, that's been a little bit of an ongoing process. But today we're going to introduce what I think will become a pretty interesting new segment that we're going to try to do on a regular basis. Uh, We're going to call it What's the big idea? And I have my friend Tyler in. You guys have heard him before he came in and talked with me about BAK, and we kind of shared that experience. But one of the things that happens a lot, not not just with Tyler, but with pretty much all of my friends, we sometimes just sit around and talk. It's one of my favorite things is talking and finding out what people think and just, you know, kind of creating the space where you can have whatever idea you want out there and there's not any judgment to it and people aren't saying, well, that's a stupid idea because it's more about curiosity, right? It's more about saying what, you know, what could happen in the world. So Tyler, let's talk a little bit about how we took this conversation or multiple conversations and somehow over time morphed this into uh, a a podcast episode or a segment in our podcast that we're going to call What's the Big Idea? Well, I think, I think it started with just, um, you know, one of the things that kind of drew us together is that we're just curious about things. And we would, on BAK, through riding our bikes, we'd ride and we'd talk and we'd, you know, you're curious about people and what makes people tick. And and I'm curious about things and, and science-related stuff and what makes things work. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when we get together and we're just, hanging out you know we we have these big ideas for lack of a better term of you know wonder what wonder why this is the way it is Mm -hmm. wonder why we do things this way and you've got always unique takes on the 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 people aspect of of maybe why a thing works this way in our culture in our society or in our economy Mm-hmm. You've got a unique perspective on on that, and so it's just cool for us to sit down and have a drink and just riff and talk. And and then on the other hand of that, you have a, a you, your background is scientific. I mean, you you used to work in the science related field, and um, and you you have a very uh, well, you're creative, but you also have this technical mind where you kind of like taking things apart and seeing the gears and how they work and whatever. But I think. Sometimes I, th- I, mean, I don't think that's unique to us, though, right? Like, I think people have these conversations all the time. I think the thing that's different is that you have these conversations, you just go back to your normal life and you don't ever, a lot of times we don't, I mean, I do that too. I'll, ha- I'll have these conversations and then the day ends and you go to sleep and you wake up and you do the next day and you just kind of let that conversation sit there and you don't explore it anymore. And I think one of the things we wanted to do was start exploring these a little bit more and saying, what? What if these big ideas that you have in these conversations and there's just kind of a conversation you're having over beer or over dinner or on a truck ride somewhere, what if you had those big ideas and you actually started looking at could they work? What 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 would those do? So we we've had a we've had several of those kind of conversations and we've had um, you know, we've looked at like what could what could what would happen if uh you know, if this idea could become a reality. So uh, 
we were going to introduce just a couple of light topics here, and we have a couple bigger ones we're going to dive into in, in subsequent episodes. But what 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 is one thing that you had asked about or that we've talked about that kind of fits into this category? Well, um, you know, there's this this meme that's going around Facebook about wind turbines. You know, it's a pretty polarizing issue, and and some of the some of the people that are against it uh, would have us believe that the uh, the blades, the fan blades, go into these landfills to take up space and and rot and uh and I well, they like, don't rot that's the problem they don't they're not environmentally friendly because they don't rot right they exactly. just you know take up space and they're gonna they're like plastic they're gonna live for 100 years and the whole impetus behind this is that they're not as green as you the people that are against them will argue that green energy is not green they're always kind of looking for a way to prove the green energy isn't right. as green as we'd like it to be right and the anti-wind turbine movement for, I don't mean to alienate some of your audience here, but as, as a person with a science degree and decades of experience in science related industries, I've yet to hear an anti, uh, wind turbine argument that, that has actual like legitimate science base argument to it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's largely emotional. It's largely emotional. There's no, there's nothing uh, empirical to some of, to some of what they claim, and um, that to me that's if you don't if you can't give me something that's measurable or reproducible, you're you're in the realm of pseudoscience. Mm -hmm. So okay, not to not to um, but I think it's feed on on those people any anymore because you know that. I'm not an expert in that field. Sure. Either. My, my experience is microbiology and chemistry. Um, but, um, but yeah, their, their argument doesn't hold water scientifically. So, you know, why, why do we believe, or why, why is this, this meme going around Facebook that these, uh, wind turbine blades just go and take up space and never rot and it's bad for the environment, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Why did that start? And is it real? Mm -hmm. And so you don't know, and I don't know, but somebody does. So, you know, what I wouldn't give to bend the ear of an R and D person for one of the wind turbine companies. To talk uh, about what actually happens when yeah. they decommission a wind turbine. Exactly. Right? And what are they made of? Um, I would understand them to be some kind of uh, fiberglass stretched over, some kind of a light metal framework or wood. I, or, so or I possibly, yeah, I would. I visited a wind farm recently and it's balsa wood. They're just inside the framing is a balsa wood. Not, not, not all of them, but mm -hmm. I was at the, I was at a wind farm and they, they had a piece of balsa wood in there showing that that's what, that's what is underneath the kind of the interior structure of the, oh, wow. of the blade. Wow. That's uh but, and that's biodegradable, biodegradable and reusable. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I mean, if that's the case, uh, you know, we're, we are halfway there to understanding what these can be repurposed as. Do they have to take up space? First off, is that silly little meme based at all in reality? Is that really what happens? So these guys can tell us because I imagine that an engineer for one of these companies, uh, not only do they go into to in depth into the design and then manufacture of these blades, but surely they have to know something about 
the end of life uh, decommissioning of these things and what really happens. And so could a municipality say, take for example, Hutchinson, um, you know, we've got some good minds here. Um, we know what goes into these blades. We know what we could use them for. So, hey, all of you wind farms across the country, as you de decommission your blades, we want them. Mm -hmm. And on the surface, that looks like, oh, God, now we're just going to have a big graveyard a big field of, of with turbine blades. Uh, but does it have to be that? If you know what you're going to do with them, you've got um, a use for them long term. Uh, okay, we've got a manufacturing facility that could use all this balsa wood. Mm -hmm. Or metal, or you know, or whatever whatever's it is. in it. Yeah. Um, or okay, so let's say that's a giant skin of fiberglass. Um, okay, well we can take those and we can cut them up into, uh, or or reshape them somehow into roofing tiles. That you know, fiberglass roofing tile isn't probably an industry standard anywhere. But man, if you had if you had an endless supply of them coming in and now all of a sudden we don't have a problem with what to do with these turbine blades and we have repurposed them for something. Yeah, even thinking about that, you could, I was thinking you could build something like dog houses or chicken coops or maybe not something that's uh, residential necessarily, yeah. but probably if the structure is, you know, good enough or, or whatever, you could probably, the idea is, does it have to necessarily be this thing that's in this meme, you know, it, exactly. It, and it makes me actually, I was thinking as you're talking about that, you could almost reimagine uh, this whole episode around unpacking a meme. That would, that actually be kind of fun, right? Just saying, take a meme, every meme that you see. And if there's one that particularly seems like, ah, could you unpack that and say, what's the origin of that meme? What's the reality of that meme? That may be another segment that we have to do. That like, would be fun. I, mean, I, th I think it'd be hilarious. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll work that in somehow because I really like that idea. Because there's so much to that. You see these memes and they get passed around and no, nobody even pays them much attention. They just see it and, uh, you know, it'll say some ridiculous fact. It'll say some fact and then few few people actually go and investigate or, or wonder, is that right or or is that wrong? Or what is the basis of that? Or who's that coming from? Or who put this together? Or why? Mm -hmm. They just put it out there and then it becomes a thing. And then it eventually it becomes a, a somewhat truth because so many people have recognized it and acknowledged it, shared it, whatever. Yep. Well, they recognize it as valid, but they don't recognize that it isn't sound. And I think, I think the average meme believer doesn't understand the difference between a valid argument and a sound argument mm -hmm. and a valid meme or a valid argument would be one where the conclusion logically follows from the assertion. Mm -hmm. So the conclusion is that these go into this landfill and take up this space. The conclusion being from the assertion that we don't know what to do with these things they have a one purpose life and they go a sound argument would be where the conclusion logically follows from the assertion and the assertions are true. Yeah. So, um, we don't necessarily know that these assertions are true. Yeah. So can we deconstruct that and find out, well, okay, this, this makes sense on the surface, but are, 
does it have stable legs to stand on? Yeah. Because, I mean, the, the reality is, is that, like you said, these things are either made usually out of fiberglass or, or I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. But I know that I, the one I visited, it's it, balsa wood on the inside. I can't remember what was on the outside. But it is a hard material. Um, and it's reasonable to think someday these wind turbines are going to be out of their usable life. I think that's actually a relatively new argument too. I don't think mm -hmm. 10 years ago, we weren't talking about what happens when a wind turbine is beyond its usable life. Right. I, I, I think that's something that's just come up in the last couple of years. Um, but it is true that everything has a life cycle and there's going to come a point where the wind turbine is going to exceed its useful life and something is going to happen. The question is what, and we don't know that, but, but it, there's this idea that there's these huge graveyards of wind turbine blades. Mm -hmm. And for all I know, that might be true. I don't know. But I, but, but does it have to be? Exactly. And could, could someone, some great mind in, in Hutchinson or central Kansas, take this idea and say, you know what? Let's look into that and, and come up with a solution. And maybe you could monetize it. But the point of our conversations is that we have these ideas and then we, we're not going to do anything with it. Yeah. You know, I've got other things to do. I'm not going to go out and chase down what to do with uh, how to repurpose uh, a, a turbine blade. Don't have the time, but somebody might. Hear somebody it. might. You know, as you, you were talking about how, and I think this is a good point, when you say just because we think something you know, happens doesn't mean that it has to happen. I remember as a kid, uh, there was a whole conversation about burning tires. Do you remember this? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. So th there was this whole thing about, oh, what do we do if tires are so bad for the environment? We, we you know, they tend to put them in the tires dead, uh, put it in a burn pile somewhere and it's toxic and it's, you know, terrible for humans and it's terrible for the environment. Well, then we really found ways to, and one way we did that is that we're grinding up tires and using them for playgrounds, right? Exactly. And, yeah. and so now you got this kind of like softer material, little preferable to wood chips, which is what we've also used, right, under mm -hmm. playgrounds. Um, but we, we found, I mean, that's one of the things, and I think that one of the things that's motivated us on this is like, what what is right now doesn't have to always be, right? I yes. mean, there, with creativity and understanding and uh, uh, an approach to problem solving that says, I'd like to solve this problem. It, the things that you think have to happen don't necessarily have to happen. And there's a lot of examples of that, right? I mean, we, we have over human history uh, adapted, uh, made changes to the way we handle things and, and, then, and then found solutions to problems. Uh, so we don't necessarily have to just put these wind turbines in, into a giant wind turbine graveyard. And, and we don't even know if that's what happens, but if that is what happens, uh, why can't we, why are we limited to that? Mm -hmm. Why can't we imagine that there'd be a different use for them? Yep. So instead of seeing this information that may or may not be true and getting really mad about it and sharing it and, you know, just living in this anger with this situation, well, why don't we one, find out if we're actually mad about the right thing. And two, uh, fix our situation. 
Yeah. That's the situation. Uh, and we can be mad about it. Well, I, I would rather remove the irritant from my life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? And if it's a social issue or an environmental issue, someone could could potentially, I mean, if a lot of the, the resistance comes from, well, it's not economically feasible, but if someone could find a way to make money with this stuff, you know, and it doesn't have to be that I use this scrap to make junk art and I sell it on Etsy or something like that. It could be an actual industry that comes from it. You know, I don't know what you and I aren't going to do it, but somebody will hear it. Well, I think that's always interesting to me is that, um, few things are actually economically viable when they start. I think, Mm -hmm. I I think, um, (laughs) I think all the time when we're having all these conversations about where the world's going and, you know, we're talking about wind turbines. So we're kind of in a transitory period on renewable energy, and that's going to probably make up a bigger uh, part of our energy matrix in the future. And I didn't mean to take the conversation here, but I think it's worth exploring. And one of the things that always frustrates me is that the the conversation around this always seems to be like it's an either or, right? Like if we move to renewable energy sources, that it somehow means that we're just not going to be using oil anymore when actually it's it's kind of an inverse or ideally it would be an inverse relationship as your as your oil consumption goes down uh, as your energy renewable energy consumption goes up so that it's not just like a break point right where we're all going to be uh, you know green energy or whatever but the world is moving that way I, I mean I've made the argument to people that I don't really care what people think about global warming and well, I do, but if you're one of the people that thinks this is not a real thing and uh, climate change isn't real, um, that I could say, okay, whatever, but why would we not try to capture on the innovation and the, uh, the innovation and the uh, manufacturing that's happening? I mean, other countries are doing this and they're building the technology and I don't want to be in a position where we're importing all of the next generation energy sources because we were too resistant to change. Mm-hmm. And so now we don't have the capacity to pr- produce these things ourselves. I, I would right. rather that we could produce those domestically. Um, and I don't understand why from like an economic point of view, we wouldn't accept that. Um, even if like environmentally you don't care, surely we can get behind the economics of it and say this, if this is where the world is going, we should be the producer of this. Um, on the wind turbine thing, uh, what are some, so you talked about, you had mentioned something earlier about kind of like a salvage yard, right? Like, would there be like, maybe there's wind turbines out there and there's, they've put them out there and you could come, you know, custom order a big chunk of fiberglass for whatever you're trying to do, right? It may be something as simple as that. It may be like a junkyard, uh, for example, I had to go to LKQ in Wichita and get a headlight for my son's car. Mm-hmm. So I go in and I say, you know, I need a passenger side headlight for an 07 Sebring. And then I'm walking around and I find it and I pull it off the car and boom, I'm gone. That's right? a little bit of a lost art, isn't it? Oh. I used to I used to do that for my old cars when I started, you know, because you couldn't afford new stuff. So you'd go to the salvage yard and ask the guy if you've got this and they had everything. Yeah. And with computers now, I mean, the, the gal working the desk asked what kind of car I was looking for. And she gave me every car that had a headlight that would work mm-hmm. and all the locations just in a matter of seconds. 
you know, which we didn't have when we were kids. Oh no, you had to scout around yeah. until you found the car that would work. And you had to know these are pre-internet days. So you had to get a Chilton book. Yep. Chilton's manual yep. or, uh, Oh, what was the other one? Uh, Haynes uh-huh. manual. Yeah. My first car was an 81 Cutlass Supreme. And, uh, I knew, you know, the Grand Prix and the Monte Carlo parts that would fit on it. Yep. Cause they were very similar. Yep. You had yep. to know and, and could change out a power steering pump and a, you know, in a flash. Yep. Whatever. Um, boy, those were the days. Poor kid life, man. Oh, I tell you what. <laughs> that's right. Wagged every mile out of that car. But, um, but yeah, so, so you have a, um, parts that we don't know what to do with. And so they go into a, for lack of a better term, graveyard, salvage yard, whatever you want to call it. And say I'm looking for a roof for a, eight by 10 shed in my backyard. And, and so I can go and, and, uh, cut off an eight by 10 bit of fiberglass. It's rigid and relatively flat, throw it on the, I don't know. That's the key. I don't know what these are made of, but I assume that creative folks can, can find uses for these things. And it doesn't have to, I use the fan blade and we've spent, you know, however long talking about fan blades but there are a lot of things that go in the junkyard that we could probably you know uh, find another life for Mm -hmm. to keep them out of landfills to keep not only keep them out of landfills but to keep us from having to go and buy a new part for a thing yeah Uh, i don't have to go and have a factory new uh power steering pump for my car when I can go and get a used one. And then from a car that's rusting out in a salvage yard. Exactly. Somewhere. So yep. they're making money. I'm saving money and, and we're keeping materials from being used on parts, new parts that don't need to necessarily be new. Um, there are people who recycle, uh, electronic components. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know exactly how that gets used or where that gets used. But um, also like even motherboards and computers, right? They'll exactly. take those and melt down and get the gold out of them. Most of those connectors are gold. I think the circuits um, and, you know, and yeah. reuse that. It's like you don't have to just throw these things away. There's ways to reuse them. Yeah. Nobody's, well, I mean, somebody might want to steal a capacitor or something off of there. That's another <laughs> minored in electronics here. So uh, <laughs> I know the days of you know, building guitar amps and distortion pedals and things off of just uh-huh. uh, little little uh, amplifiers, PMP transistors, that kind of stuff. But um, somebody could use that stuff, if nothing else, for educational purposes, mm-hmm. teaching kids how, how 555 timer chips work. And, you know, I mean, uh, there's there are a lot of ways to repurpose the things. And so we, we got on a tangent on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, windmill blades, but it doesn't have to be that. It could be anything. It could be anything. And another meme that's going around is uh, all of the stuff that goes into an electric car battery and all of the... Um, oh, I saw that giant machine that mines lithium and yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and how destructive that is for the environment. And I, I, I haven't looked at... I saw the meme. I haven't dug into any of that, so I don't know. Um, but, it, but, but it does feel like it's... It feels like 
taking a meme at face value, whatever it is, and viewing that as accurate information is just not right. Well, it works. In this day and age, you know, people people uh, want to be given a bad guy. They want to be given the boogeyman and, and fear is a pretty good motivator. So they see these things and it makes them feel queasy and, oh my God, the world's coming to an end because, you know, these these green cars are really actually, boy, when you dig in, they're really bad. Well, is that true? And what does happen to a Tesla battery when, when the car is totaled or, or taken off the market? We don't know. Well, and the thing is, they're good questions, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's like the old saying that when you invented the ship, you created the shipwreck. I mean, yeah. every innovation creates the next problem. So no, there is never a silver bullet. It's, there's never any solution uh, to a problem that is trouble-free. Mm-hmm. I always think, well, this is where I was going earlier, and I kind of lost track of myself, but I always, when we talk about these changes and, and these movements in, 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 in big ways in society, I think back about what the world must have been like at the invention of the automobile, right? Here you got uh, horses are your primary mode of transportation, pulling a wagon of some kind. This is the way everyone got around. Every town the size of Hutch had a hitching post in front of all the stores because that was the equivalent of parking your car before parking your car was a thing. Mm -hmm. And, And I think, first off, you know, the, the buggy industry must have just thrown a fit uh, and done everything they could to keep the cars from becoming a reality because the recognition that it was going to kill the horse and buggy industry. And yep. sure enough, I mean, you just don't see a lot of horse and buggies anymore. So it did. Um, but the other thing is like, just think about explaining this to someone. I mean, try to sell the automobile to somebody in the late 1800s. We're going to create an explosion in a metal box and it's going to be about a foot in front of where you're sitting and don't worry. It's going to be, we're going to put fuel in there. We're going to ignite it. It's going to move some pistons around and you're going to have way more power than you have with a horse. And it's going to be great. And you're going to sit on top of it. And you're going to travel faster than any human beings ever traveled. Yes. There was uh, a belief uh, when the, when trains first became popular that, uh, that you couldn't ride on a train faster than like 20 miles an hour. Because a human can't breathe if you're traveling that fast. They believed that it affected the air in your lungs like you couldn't. Like the, that was a belief. 20 miles an hour. 20 miles an hour. I go faster than that on my, on my bike. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's nothing. But, but you know, when that's a new technology, um, it seems terrifying. And give them a boogeyman because uh, we, we want them to, you know, the car is going to kill my horse and buggy industry. Got to give them something to be afraid of. Yeah. So, boy, that's too fast. That's well, and I think there were arguments that it was, you know, it was dangerous. The cars were dangerous and they were going to, yeah. And it turns out they did. There's a whole other thing about this, you know, American car culture and how uh, it, there's, uh, I've had conversations with people who, there's actually a guy I know that teaches a course on like kind of an anthropology course mm-hmm. on the American automobile and how it changed everything from dating to the way our cities are built. I mean, it's this actually pretty narrow window of time that the automobile has influenced our culture to such a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always think that at the beginning of this, there must have been a lot of 
worry about the automobile. And I feel like we kind of, as we have these conversations about electric cars, renewable energy, all these things that we kind of have that same dynamic happening again, where it's new, it's different. It's not what I know. So there, I'm not sure this is as good as we think it is. Well, it's it, probably not going to be as good. It's, it's, it, it's going to be new and it's going to be different. It's going to be the next iteration of what we do. Um, but it doesn't, it's not, a, it's not going to be a silver bullet. It's not going to solve all of our problems, but it also doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad either. It just means it's the next thing. Right. Exactly. We figured out what to do with cars. We'll figure out what to do with batteries. We'll figure out what to do with wind turbine blades. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, that's, I think that's right. I mean, we, we always, somebody, I mean, one of the great things about, about, uh, humanity, I think, is just this creativity, right? That we can look and see a problem. And if we don't limit ourselves to the idea that we're stuck with what we have, that we can find innovative solutions to problems. So I'm confident that somebody, if they haven't already figured it out, is going to figure out something with the wind turbine, what to do with that. Yeah. Could be the next billion dollar idea. Who knows? And we're too busy to capitalize on it. So there's some great mind listening to your podcast. Uh, you're welcome in advance uh, <laughs> because uh, we are uh, full of these brilliant ideas, just ready for someone to act on. Them. And we're just going to give them. We're just going to give them away. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, because we don't have the time or the capital to to do any of these things. So we just figure, why let these ideas go to waste? We'll just put them out there. And the truth is, they're probably not as good ideas as we think they are. Well, but at least then we'll know. That's right. You know, the, the, you said early on that we have these conversations and they're no different than any conversations that other people have when they get together with their friends. The only difference is you have a podcast. That's right. And I think what we're going to do or what we'd like to do is we'll have these conversations on this episode, on this segment. What's the big idea? And then ideally what we'll do is try to track down what, what the truth is. Yes. And try to figure out like, okay, we've, we've spent this time just BS and then we're like, ah, we're so funny and smart and whatever, but are we right? Or is our idea accurate? Do we have any idea? But it's, can we find the answer to that question? And if we can, we may not always be able to find the answer to that question, but we, if we can, we'll try to find it out and then say, okay, now we've talked about this for however long and we've had all this curiosity about could this happen this way or could it happen that way? Uh, but at the end of the day, can we find somebody who knows and see if they can tell us? Yes, exactly. The answer is not going to be in another meme. The answer is going to be with an expert and they will tell us whether our idea is valid or sound. Yeah, I like that. The idea of something being valid or sound, the, the, that is, that's the thing, right? Like is, is you kind of explained that earlier, but it, it is a valid concern on your windmill proposal that it is a valid concern. Something's going to have to happen with these. Yep. Is it sound to think that the only solution is that they end up in a graveyard and take up a bunch of space and never deteriorate. And therefore they're actually bad for the environment. Exactly. I can't help, but think that that's not a sound argument. I can't help, but think, that 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 meme or that argument against uh, wind turbines uh, is rooted more in 
fear and misapplication of science. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a field of science that I don't know. And I am real comfortable saying I don't know something. That's a lost art these days, by the way. I'm very comfortable saying I don't know something. And I'm very comfortable saying I was wrong. Yeah. And uh, but I'm not going to I'm not going to believe that I was wrong if I hear it from another Facebook meme. What I want to hear is an expert tell me I'm wrong and why. Yeah. Because then me being wrong isn't a loss. It's a win because I get to learn something. And you and I, that's we thrive on learning and understanding. And, and, you know, if I was wrong in, in what can be done with these blades, nothing can be done with them. They have to remain in their current state and they take up space. And by golly, those people were right. The tinfoil hat folks win. Cool. Then now I know. Tell, tell me why. Explain to me why. And does it have to be that way? Can the industry not be changed to say, okay, well, there's another way that we can manufacture these blades to have the same property to give us to yield us the same energy capture, um, and give us a second life when they've outlived their mm-hmm. their utility up on the up on the uh, hill where they're collecting wind. You know that. That idea of being wrong and being okay with being wrong, because at least you know the facts, you know the truth of something. But that, I like that. That really is the start of finding the solution, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, once you say, I thought this was right, but it turns out it's not right. Now I have this new information. I have a new understanding. You can, at that point, you can accept that and say, okay. Mm -hmm. But but that that is the space where a different solution or a different approach begins where you can start to say, well, I don't like that. I don't, I, I'm, I know that I was wrong. I know my premise was wrong. I know that what I thought didn't actually turn out to be true, but I don't like that. And now I want to know how I can go about changing that. Can mm-hmm. I change the way this is done? And I think that's the way, I think it's the way innovation happens. Exactly. So, well, now I'm wondering if we should just do this with memes. I hadn't even thought about this before, but maybe we should just go and look at memes. But that I might would be... love nothing more than you and I to sit uh, down and dissect memes and riff on them. And, uh, except that meme, coll- meme collection requires lots of time scrolling uh, social media apps, which I'm, I'm trying to reduce. But it turns out I know people who have... Uh, entire files on their phone of memes. Like every time they see a meme that they like or they think is ridiculous, mm-hmm. they save it. So we might be able to find some shortcuts there and find find people. Or we could have listeners send memes in that they would like us to deconstruct. Exactly. And see if see if they're there. Is there a meme or a um, position that's being uh, shared around social media that you find to be particularly uh, compelling uh, in an argument for or against something that sounds right to you, feels right to you, elicits an emotional reaction from you, but you don't know if it's real, email it in and we'll find the right people and we'll, we'll see what we can do to deconstruct it. And, and uh, yeah, because we shouldn't just be limited to our big ideas, right? Oh, no, no, no. In fact, uh, I do not want to sit in an echo chamber of my own ideas ever. 
in my life. What? Yeah, that's unhealthy and there's no growth there. I want to I don't want to be in an echo chamber of my own ideas. I want other people to to share their ideas with me. I love that stuff. You thrive on that stuff. You're you're like a kid in Mr. Bulky's when <laughs> when someone presents a a new idea uh to you. So I would I would welcome that. But it's so warm and cozy in places where all of my ideas are right and I never get challenged and I never get questioned about anything. There's no growth personally or socially in a, in a place of comfort. That's true. And um, you and I are both fans of Malcolm Gladwell. Oh my God. His new season is blowing my mind. Yeah. And there was, I think it, I can't remember if it was this season or, or if it was a previous one, but they, he had a whole conversation about diversity and cultures and, um, more diverse cultures have a little more stress in them, but they're more innovative and adaptive. Mm-hmm. But your kind of uh, homogenous societies where you have less diversity, um, they have a lot more order uh, mm-hmm. and it's a lot more comfortable because everybody thinks pretty much the same way, but they over time tend to lag behind in, because they don't have the diversity of thought to create so the, the the idea of having a lot of different thoughts overall is very healthy for a society, even though it might be a little more uncomfortable to navigate some of the differences. Yep, um, order is great if you are uh, normal, if you think in a way that's accepted as normal, or you live in a way that's accepted as normal, or you look in a way that's accepted as normal. Uh, orders perfect for those folks, but, um, and the people who decide what normal is or the people who were in charge of the setting the order. Exactly. And what we know is that normal isn't even real. Everybody, everybody is outside of normal in some part. So well, also normal changes over time too. Absolutely. And that's why I always tell people, if you think, uh, take the day you were born and move it back, 50 years and think about what the world, I mean, take the day you were born and think about what the normal was for that time, move it back 50 years and think about what normal was there and then move it forward 50 years and think about what normal is or would be there. It's, it's going to be, your world's going to be, your normal is going to be quite a bit different on that relatively small timeline Yep. Uh, because of things like automobiles and air travel and train travel, we moved from thinking that your lungs would collapse at 20 miles an hour to flying in an airplane. At Mach 5 or however fast we yeah. yeah. And sending a telescope million, a million miles away into space and capturing, you know, incredible pictures of other galaxies and, and uh, seeing that there's a lot more to the universe than we thought. Yep. And we just accept that as a possibility. And 200 years ago, you'd have been you'd have been executed for even having the thought. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And 200 years from now, we'll be looked at as if we're living in a cave because we still use things like telescopes to look into the stars. Yeah, exactly. I don't know, unless the flat earth people turn out to be right. Well, I mean, that'd be a short episode, but we could talk about the flat earth memes. <laughs> we could find the flat earth memes and explore those a little bit. You're right. That would be, we could disprove that pretty quickly, I think. Um, yeah. But if you are a flat earther, we would love to talk with you. Yes, on, please on get a hold of us. Yes. Mainly, I want to know what your parents think of you. <laughs>
also, um, the, the birds aren't real. I want to get in on that action too. What's beautiful about the birds aren't real movement is that the kid who created it, I say kid, he's probably like in his late thirties, which is a kid to us, mm-hmm. um, has, has acknowledged that it was a joke. Yeah. It was totally not, uh, serious. And yet there are people who are still like, well, but do we really know? I know it's so funny. It's if you aren't familiar with any of the listeners aren't familiar with birds aren't real. It's uh, it's kind of a spoof on uh, really big conspiracy theories. And the central idea is that sometime in the 1970s, the CIA and the FBI all killed all the birds and replaced them with secret spy drones that look like birds. And what's hilarious about this when I first found this is they have like a like a fact page and every question you could think of they had an answer for like why if birds aren't real why do they poop on my car and i can't remember what the answer was but they had an answer for it and they're like if birds aren't real why why do they die and during the pandemic there was kind of a resurgence of the birds aren't real movement because there was a group of people that captured the birds aren't real movement and said um well the reason the pandemic happened is because they wanted to keep us all inside because they needed to change the batteries and the birds. <laughs> <laughs> I love that stuff. And what's beautiful is the conspiracy theory that the conspiracy theorists, um, they occasionally there's something that happens that touches on a uh, kernel of truth, a kernel. Yeah. That, that might in the right light, if you squint your eyes just right, validate one of their stances and so then they're like see we told you yeah they don't understand that a broken clock is still right twice a day (laughs) (laughs) so send us your memes send us and if you are a flat earther please we'd love to talk to you um so that we can lengthen the episode a little bit um instead of just looking at a meme and (laughs) explaining how that's not the case um but I think this will be a fun episode. I think exploring these ideas and and we've got a couple that we're going to kind of unpack uh, in later episodes. Um, but I think and and I do want listeners to send their I mean, we're kind of joking a little bit about some of the conspiracy stuff. But I do think if you see if you have an idea or you have a thought or a question or you see a meme and you're like, I want to know about this, um, send it into us. We'll We'll take it and try to unpack it, look at it try to find somebody who can give us the answer on whether this is or isn't the case. Um, explain why. I think we can have a little fun. I think we can learn a little bit. And I think we can uh, kind of explore the world in a fun way. And just and also in like a way that says, let's just wonder what could be instead of being so limited to what the current thinking is or what are limited to our own knowledge. I mean, that's one thing too, right? I, like you said, it, it, the older I get, the more I realize I don't know and more I realize I'm never going to know. Um, so if I can pull in expert uh, testimony, if I can pull in uh, some level of expertise from someone else and they can tell me why I'm, why this does or doesn't work. Uh, I don't know. I think that's fun. I think that kind of learning is fun. It's extremely liberating to be able to say, I don't know. Yeah. But I want to know. It sets you free from a way of thinking and lets you go out and explore. Um, but please, please don't send us nothing but conspiracy theories and uh, and memes because that stuff does get exhausting after a while. It doesn't have to be a meme. 
doesn't have to be a conspiracy theory, but it, you know, just in general, like I was thinking, why don't we do this? Yeah. Why don't we do this thing? Uh, it could be agriculture related. It could be food. It could be uh, everybody has something that they think about. And they think about it that it, they have those thoughts all the time. I wonder why we don't do this or why can't we do that? Yep. Well, send that in. We'll yep. find out. And if we don't know, um, we'll see if we can find the experts. And there's probably a good chance that we don't know. Very likely. <laughs> all right. Well, I think uh, I've had fun having this conversation. Of course, it's kind of these are the kind of conversations we have all the time anyway, but it's kind of you know nice to do it and record it and put it out there for people. Um, but I really do hope uh, that listeners will chime in with this and send us some of their ideas and uh, give us material to go investigate because it's a good learning opportunity for us too. And we, we and it'll give us more to talk about. Exactly. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having this conversation with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'd like to thank a few of the people who have helped make that podcast and Hutch possible. My son Mitchell Probst wrote and recorded the music for the show. Jenny Brigette put together some great graphics and promotional art. And Chris Acker helps overcome my mistakes to produce a great sounding product every episode. That podcast and Hutch is made possible through a collaboration between the Hutchison Arts and Culture Collective and Salt City Sound. They're working to bring resources and infrastructure to support art, music, and storytelling in our community. If you have an idea for your own podcast, reach out to them at podcasts at saltcitysound.net. If you enjoy that podcast and Hutch, be sure to subscribe and share it with all your friends. You can also help support this production by subscribing to thatguyandhutch.substack.com or by emailing me at thatguyandhutch at gmail.com to learn about sponsorship opportunities. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Assault City Sound Production.